Hostile work environment. Exactly. Hey, an appropriate workplace topic. Hostile work environment. I'm the human resources director. Little Miss Hostile work environment. Hi, and welcome to the Hostile Work Environment with Mark and Dennis. This is Dennis here. And this is Mark. Hey, Mark. Long time no see. How you been? Oh, I've been great in the, like, what is it, about 10 hours, 12 hours since the last time I saw you? Something like that, yeah. Um, Mark and I just got back from an employment law conference out on the Oregon coast where we were presenting, of all things. We were. People actually gave us a microphone and let us talk. At at the same time, which seems to actually match our current reality. Yeah. (laughs) Um, They just let us do it in front of people. Just in front of people. Who were live in front of us. Yeah. And in Dennis's basement. No one threw rotten fruit. Nobody threw rotten fruit. Nobody heckled us. No, no heckling. Which we we did get applause though, which was nice. Shocking, shocking <laughs> amount of applause. Um, but yeah, it's always nice when you go out and you don't bomb. That that's true. And and I actually have something else I want to mention about today. Really, fire away. It's Dennis's birthday oh, today. God, don't do that. No, it's, no, I totally. It's Dennis's birthday today. And actually, so here's Damn what it. I here's what I want in honor of Dennis's birthday. Before yeah. we get into our case today, I just want to I want to put a little solicitation out there for our listeners we want you to send us your best workplace birthday party stories oh my god what a brilliant idea in honor of dennis's birthday and it will be weeks now since we haven't even gone live with the podcast yet before this airs but in in response to this we want to get your stories in and we will read the best ones on a subsequent episode of the podcast all in honor of dennis and we will do this in honor of Dennis's birthday. Oh, well, thanks, Mark. That's a brilliant idea. We may have to follow it up in a couple months with everybody's best holiday story. Well, right. And it's also like two days before Halloween when we're recording this. So there are Halloween oh, party stories that we my can God. So We want to hear about your most workplace inappropriate Halloween costume as well. So if yeah. let and us know. Let us know. We'll remind you at the end of the episode again, but... But stories at HWE Podcast is how you can send us your stories. Dot com. HWE Podcast. Dot, dot, dot com. com. Yes, not dot net, not dot org. EDU. Not EDU. <laughs> R-U-S. Right. None of those. None of those. HWE Podcast dot com. So, Mark, um, I think you have a really cool case for us to talk about today. What I, you got? I do. I've got I've got a good one. So um today we're gonna talk about Maria. Maria. Maria and Carrie. She, oh that's Mariah. That's Mariah. Okay. My bad. Maria. Just Maria. Okay. Maria. She was a school teacher. Okay. Now, are you familiar with pedophobia? Um is that fear of pedophiles? Because mm. I would have that. Uh, so do I, but that neither you nor I have pedophobia, as far as I'm aware. Okay, enlighten me. Pedophobia is the fear of children. You're and, presuming a lot when you say I don't have that. Well, you have two children. And, you and just, it was a struggle. It, it was a struggle. But you don't run from the room screaming. Much. Much when they come in the room, especially when they were younger, when they were little kids. I was there. True. I could... I could hold it together right yeah you also haven't chosen to be a school teacher no that is true maria did oh now to be fair and was she pedophobic yes yes maria Ooh. is diagnosed with with pedophobia wow 
and she's a school teacher. Now, to be fair, right, this this makes a nice headline for the case. But she taught high school School teacher afraid of children. Right. Yeah. Right. But in Maria's case, she taught high school students. Oh, okay. So you can still call them children, but they were above a certain age. But her her disability comes into play here down the line. So let me, let's talk, okay. talk a little bit about her story. So she taught high school languages, I think French and Spanish. Um, so again, this was not really problematic for her condition. And she did this for 20 years teaching high school. And at that point, the district asked her to teach to teach elementary school students. Uh, and she declined. So, I don't blame her. Right? Given her condition. And she I don't believe she had even cited her condition to the school at this point. But now she did. Up it, until this point, she'd never said anything. It's like her. taking the arachnophobic zookeeper and saying, hey, guess what? You're in charge of the spiders now. Right. After 20 years of tending the lion cage. Yeah. Right. T- gotcha. So she cites her condition. She provides documentation. And the school says, great. No problem. And she continued on her merry way teaching high school. Teaching high school. Okay. Okay. For 12 more years, she did this. So okay. she's now up over 30 years of teaching high school. And then the high school decided to move its French program online. Okay. That means they didn't need a high school French teacher uh-huh. anymore. Okay. Sucks to be Maria. Right. So they transferred her to the middle school. Okay. Now, did they have to do that, Dennis? Did they have to, if they didn't have that position for her anymore, did they have to move her? No. Even knowing about her disability? If they are eliminating her position for reasons unrelated to her disability, they could just lay her off. True. So they did something they didn't really need to do. Yeah, they kind of went out of their way. They're like, hey, now maybe there was like a union contract and there was bumping rights or something like that, that in the event of a layoff, maybe they had to. Maybe they would have had to in that case. Now, the case that we're talking about here, which is a real case that actually happened and was decided by a real court. Um, there's no discussion of any union contract here. Okay, that so we'll assume dictates not. any behavior by the school district. In that case, I don't think they had to do that. All right, so she moves to the middle school. Now, the middle school obviously has younger kids. Yeah. Right. So you start to worry about. Okay, does she going to freak? Is she going to freak out? She didn't freak out. Okay. Okay. And in fact, the case <clears throat> facts that are the undisputed facts of the case are yeah. that she moved to the middle school enthusiastically. Oh. Okay, maybe she's all excited to. Maybe it's conditioning therapy for her to get like younger and younger kids without freaking out. That might be one way to help get over your phobia. It might. All right. So after she moves, uh, the leaders of the district, the superintendent, heard that she was telling parents that the high school was no longer offering a French curriculum. Right, which, which is not quite true. Not quite true. Um, now, this was some time ago, so it was in the early days of online courses. We're oh, a little okay. more primed for that today, but 10 yeah. or 15 years ago, that was still rather unusual. Oh, okay. So there may have been um, some bias or some anger on her part since she was directly affected by it to say, yeah, they're not really teaching French. I could see that happening. Okay. So, but technically very incorrect. And obviously... The district was not happy with her for saying these things. So they called her into a meeting. And in this meeting, uh, right, and the meeting was to talk about maybe you shouldn't be saying these things. uh, She claims that the superintendent screamed at her 
about these mischaracterizations huh. and threatened to punish her because of it. Okay. She also we, we usually don't recommend screaming as a form of no workplace I, I mean, interaction. I mean, regardless of where this case goes in the end, in terms of liability, as a management issue, not a good fact. It's not a great fact, right? And now this is again, this is a disputed fact. Okay, sure. I'm sure the school okay. district thought they were merely speaking authoritatively. But let's take Maria at her word. Sure. Now Not the right it. way to handle this. Yeah. Okay. We could do better. She also alleges that he lunged across the table at her. Again, which takes that another step. Not up, a great right? fact, right? Um, though she admits that there was no physical contact at any point. Okay. All right. Yelling, lunging. Right. And. All in, the things that we tend not to encourage. Right. In this conversation, there's no discussion of her disability. There's no discussion of the kids being an issue at the age that they're at. Okay. So fast forward six more months. She requests a transfer back to the high school. And she gives two reasons. First is that she's under underutilized in her current position. Okay. All right. But also that continuing in the middle school would have detrimental impact on her health. Why is that? It doesn't say anything more than that in the case, but huh. the implication is that she's now having problem a problem with her condition. Okay. And that the detrimental impact on her health relates to her pedophobia. And that's that's based on just extrapolating from from the rest of the facts here, but also the claims that she ultimately brings. Okay. Okay. So let's come back to that question again. So now that she said this. What's the district's obligation knowing of her disability? I would say that if she comes forward and says, I have a qualifying disability that is making it impossible for me to perform my job duties in the role that I have, the school district would have an obligation to look around and see if it has any vacant positions for which she's qualified and let her have one of those. So if she's qualified for a high school role and there is a vacancy... I would say that they might have an obligation to give it to her. But that would be easy. And that we're not would be here to easy. talk about easy cases. I'm thinking what if it was if there is no easy, role? we wouldn't be here. So what What happens if there is no role? If there is no role, you got to tell somebody, okay, let's, if there's no other accommodation that can help you do the essential functions of your job in this role, we don't have any other role for you. So, so no obligation. Suck it up, Buttercup. Either you do the job or you don't and you, you go away. You, you lose your job. So no obligation to, to create There's a no new job. job. No, we, we don't need right. to create a high school French program just so that you can have a job. But yes, obligation to engage in the interactive process. Oh, totally. Maybe there's other ways that she can get over the pedophobia. Maybe she can teach from behind a screen. I don't know. I don't I'm making know, stuff right? up. That's probably not really great You know, classroom yeah. interaction. Yeah. You could put the really young looking kids in the back. <laughs> You know, you don't want them in put the your, front. Put your sixth graders in the back of the classroom and your eighth graders well, up front. Have you, you been to a junior high? Not just for a long time. Yeah, I'll, I've I'll been, admit. I, I, I have a kid in junior high, and it's awesome because you see kids in there that look like they just got out of diapers, and you see kids in there that shave more than I do, and they're in the same grade. It's a really super awkward. It's an awkward age, right? So you could put like you know the early shavers in the front row, and all of your like. 
immature kids in the back, which makes sense anyway, because the, the shavers pick on the immature kids and they'd be throwing spit wads at them if they were up front. And then Maria could kick back and just look at the, you know, five o'clock shadow kids in the front row. She'd be totally cool. <laughs> what do you think about the fact that it took her six months before she made this request that she took the job enthusiastically and had no problems with her condition for these six months. And now she's implying that that's a major problem. It implies to me that maybe it's not as big of an issue. It's a totally legit question to say like, God, Maria, what, what made this an issue now? What? Totally. Yeah. Now, I mean, I could imagine a case where like, maybe she's like got borderline pedophobia and the stress Something of the situation, it, right? or maybe like a little kid lunged at her in the parking lot one day and was like, ah. And then all of a sudden, her now, condition's re-triggered. It's so re-triggered. It, it's so, worsened. So we're speaking like a bit that. skeptically about this, but it's we don't know enough about the facts to say that really definitively no. one way or another. But it's, but it's a little suspicious. It's huh? a little bit, yeah. All right. So, district agreed with Dennis. Okay. Okay. And they, they declined to transfer her. They had no position open. And she decided to retire. Okay. Remember we'd said she'd been doing this for over 30 years. Problem solved into the case. Problem solved into the case until she sued them. Ah, but of course. Right. Oh, and one additional fact. Yeah. The person who replaced her in the job in the middle school, roughly the same age as her. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, which at this point in her career... She taught for like what, like 30, 30 years plus total? Years. She's got to be in her 50s. Right. So it's somebody in their 50s or 60s who is who is coming into that job following okay. her. Okay. Okay. So she files suit. About for what? Well, she sues for age discrimination. She sues Interesting. for disability discrimination. To be expected. Hostile work environment. Always. Intentional infliction of emotional distress. Ah, uh. And there's also a breach of contract claim in there, which I don't think we need to talk about. But no, let's talk about the other ones. Those are boring. So those are boring. The only additional evidence before I have you play the judge, the only additional evidence here that came out through the discovery process that was relevant enough for them to talk about it in the opinion is that some of her peers, so other teachers, were discovered over email making fun of her condition. Oh, but she didn't know about any of that until oh. after she filed suit. Interesting. Okay. So let's talk about this. Let's, should we talk about this just quickly, claim by claim? Let's do that. All right. Let's start with age. She I, loses. She loses. Okay. Why does she lose her age claim? Well, here's the deal. If you fire somebody or force them into retirement in this case, who happens to be older... And you replace them with somebody who's roughly the same age. We can infer from that that their age was probably not a factor in any of that. If you had it out for old people, why'd you hire another old person? Now, if they had gotten rid of her and forced her out and then replaced her with some 20-year-old, then we'd have to ask why. Now, in that case, it sounds to me like they, she, one, she retired. So you have to show that like the school district did something to force her into retirement. And I'm not sure she can get there. But even if you did, her replacement with a young person might just be uh, based on who's available. You can't go out and like say, oh man, an old person retired. We got to go find another old person. It doesn't work that way. Totally agree. All right. What about, uh, what about her disability claim? 
this is a failure to accommodate disability claim. Okay, here's what gets, at least to me, a little bit more interesting. But the question then becomes, what should they have done to accommodate her disability? We already looked around and said, well, there are no vacant positions for her to go into, so we can't do that. I would ask, did they then look to see if there were other reasonable accommodations that would work? Assume and what would did. those be? Assume they did. And assume that what she's looking for, right? And the yeah. case specifically says this, is a transfer back to high school. Yeah. And there's no position. We know there's no position available there. No, you lose. There has to be an open position. They're not required to create a job for you as part of a reasonable accommodation process. Yeah, That's just said. not reasonable. Okay. All right. You're right. Okay. That's what the question is. As usual. As you, well. Not always, yeah. but most of the time. All right. Hostile work environment. Yeah. Is she trying to say that because her coworkers were making fun of her, the work environment was hostile? Yes, but that's not it. That's not all. It's not all? What else is in there? She's claiming that when the superintendent yelled at her and lunged, across her, across, lunged at her across a table. Yeah. That that was part of her hostile okay. work environment yeah. claim as well. She loses this one too. Here's why. So the lunging and the yelling might not have been polite. It might not have been nice. But she needs to prove that that was related to some protected category. Like Bingo. her age or her disability. Not the fact that her supervisor was upset. And this is, this is what I love about the concept of hostile work environment these days. You can't look at anybody crosswise without them the ooh, hostile work environment. But the thing is, is a legal matter. It's only a hostile work environment if it's related to your age or your sex or your race or your national origin or your disability or your veteran status or one of those things. Just the fact that your boss is an angry jerk does not make it a hostile work environment from a legal perspective. So she's going to lose on that front. And then the other thing is her coworkers making fun of her is more interesting because it's actually about her disability, right? Yep. So you're thinking, oh, that might get us there. No, she still loses because it's only hostile if you know about it. Absolutely like, can't harass somebody after the fact. No. And you, if, if the tree falls in the forest and you're not around to hear it, it didn't make a noise from a legal perspective. So as long as she doesn't know that her coworkers are making fun of her, it's not a hostile work environment for her. She only found out about that after she retired. So she's not going to win on that one either. This is so far. And she, I, I don't think I need to ask you this next one. Yeah. Same thing for intentional infliction of emotional distress, right? If you're not going to hit the standard of severity or pervasiveness on a hostile work environment claim, are you going to get there on IIED? Well, you might. Because intentional infliction of emotional distress does not necessarily depend on any of those protected categories. Right. Assume no protected category. Somebody can act like a jerk intentionally, so outrageously, and with the goal of causing you emotional distress. If that happens, you can maybe sustain... An intentional infliction of emotional distress claim. But if, Does yelling at somebody and lunging at them across the table without contact get you there? 
No. Right. And regardless of protected class, my point was simply if you're not going to create, if you're not going to allege conduct that meets severe or pervasive under a hostile work environment in terms of the severity and how much it impacts you, right. it's hard to claim that it's going to be outrageous enough. It's pretty tough. That it could be also be the foundation of an yeah. IIED claim. Right. And my only point is that you can get away from the protected category type analysis, but you got to have something crazy. It can't be like, oh man, I lost my cool one day and raised my voice no that's not gonna fly or even you know i went across a table at somebody but i never touched them and i never i you know it no. ended there that's still not gonna be sufficient to be the cause of um an iied no never all right so that's the case of the pedophobic school teacher dennis and in the court of dennis she loses what happened in the court of reality the Court of Dennis and the Court of Reality, in this case, are one and the same. Wow. So she lost her case. She lost. And and that's it. We will include the original case, which is Walther Willard v. Marymount City Schools. This is a Sixth Circuit case. We will include oh. a copy of the case or a link to it in our show notes. So Sixth Circuit, good old Midwest. Mm-hmm. Michigan, Ohio, Kentucky, Tennessee, if memory serves. Sounds right to me. Yeah, interesting. All right. Well, thanks, Mark. Great case. I appreciate you bringing it. We'll be back uh, in a moment. All right. Hey, Mark. What up, Dennis? Do you ever give money to NPR? I can't say that I have. Why not? Because I listen to NPR plenty, but... If I pay the money, I still have to listen to the pledge drive. And those it, pledge drives are like torture. I I hate, like, I, it makes me not listen to NPR anymore. I know. So we're not going to do that to our listeners, are we? Go to www.patreon.com slash HWE. And if you do that, we'll promise never a pledge drive. Ever. Our promise to you. Bye. So I got something for us to talk about today. All right. I'm excited. I, we haven't actually prepped this episode, so I'm excited to hear what it is. And You're suggesting and, we prep any episode. Well, sometimes we do. Sometimes I know what we're talking about beforehand. And, well, but I'm excited not to know. Today. And by the way, this is episode three. Welcome to episode three. Congratulations for making, making it this far. Yes, we appreciate it. It's a major milestone, episode three. <laughs> for us and for you. Yeah. No, I got something interesting to talk about. Um Forbes magazine, which I don't usually read, but I stumbled across this episode or this article recently. Really interesting article from, I just want to give credit where it's due, um, written by Liz Ryan. And we're going to put up a link to the article on the show notes so you guys can find it and read it yourselves. But she talks about five cruel and unusual company rules that we should abolish before 2018. Ooh. And I wanted to get... Cru- cruel and unusual? Cruel and unusual. Okay. I wanted to get your take on these and see if you agree or whether there's limits to these. Sure. What do you think? Let's do it. Give it a try? Yeah. All right. So here's number one. Get rid of the policy that requires employees to bring in a doctor's note when they're sick. Liz goes on to say, look, the world's changed. We don't go to the doctor when we have a cold or the flu. And you should trust your employees and let them decide if they're sick enough to come to work or not. Or sick enough to stay home. 
I guess if you're sick enough to come to work, that's a pretty lousy workplace. <laughs> yeah, and I don't think employers want to be encouraging sick employees to come and spread germs around the workplace, generally speaking. And that is the point Liz makes in her article, is that forcing people to come to get a doctor's note just to stay home is going to force them to come into work and make everybody sick. Yeah, when 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 sickness and illness spreads through the workplace, then you've lost more production as an employer than if you just let one person stay home for the day. So I get the sense you agree with Liz that this is not a great, great rule to have. Uh, yes, I do. To a point. And that's kind of where I'm going is like, there's got to be limits. Absolutely. Like, you can't just say I've got a cold and call out for two weeks. No. Right. There's a point at which as an employer, I think you have a right to get information from a doctor to you know, validate or verify right. that the person's actually sick and, and stuck at home with whatever the illness happens to be. For me, that's, that's after two or three days, right? Okay. So two or three Personally, days I, I think, seems I think, reasonable. But I right? also think that it depends on the nature of the workplace, right? If it's a workplace where people frequently work from home or have other things like that, where they can work in other ways, then maybe you have it be longer. Oh, yeah. Right. Or maybe. But if it's more like, uh, customer service type environment where you really need the person there present and accounted for to right really any service job maybe you're going to have that be less right i think that's up to the employer but i tend to agree with the point in the article now i'm not yeah. sure i'm not actually sure i'd call that cruel or unusual because i think well, it's very usual that employers require employees to bring in notes to justify an absence but true i agree with the point but I don't want my barista sneezing into my latte. What? No, really, I don't. <laughs> so so really, if, if it's like food service, if it's any of that stuff, please, please don't do that. Yeah. Let them stay home. Okay, here's rule number two. Okay, ready. And this is one I wasn't aware was a big deal, but I've actually heard of places that do this. Liz suggests lose the policy that requires employees to give up airline miles that they earned while taking flights for work. Interesting. Yeah. Now, at any employer I've ever worked for, that hasn't been a policy. So I have You got to keep your miles. I got to keep my miles and it was great. I got status and I could get upgrades quite a quite a bit on our local Alaska Airlines here in Portland. I'd fly them all over the country because we've got a little hub here. Right. And being able to keep those miles really helped from a comfort oh, level. Oh, totally. I but do the same thing. Also, and for my personal travel, it was nice to be able to just not have to worry about having two separate pools uh, and totally. having those miles go back to the company. It, it, it Can wasn't you imagine that, a circumstance where that would be a good idea? I mean, I can I, see I, the yeah. argument. It's like we're paying for your air travel. Why do you get these miles that we paid for? I mean, maybe I just don't know enough about how the mileage programs work anyway, but can you take those miles and convert them to someone else? Or do the do the programs associate the mile with an individual? So how do you even have them cancel it? But apparently this is a thing. I mean, I, I have no reason not to believe the article. Oh, yeah. No, I've, I've actually heard of it, and I've heard of it being a thing. Um, but nobody I have worked for has done that. It, so if if you've had that with your employer, if your employer has that policy, yeah, let send us, us a know. note. Send let us, us a know note. Why. We, we'd really be interested to 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 hear that. Our email address is stories at hwepodcast.com. Um Shoot us a note. We'd be really interested to hear what you have to say about that or what your company does. And and if if it is a policy that you promote, why? I I'm really interested. Yeah. 
Okay, here's rule number three. This will generate a little more controversy, I think. Liz suggests get rid of any dress code policy that spells out exactly which garments employees can wear and not wear to work. She says it's insulting to our employees to manage them on that level. You can't policy your way out of a critical conversation, including the conversation about what best to wear at the workplace. So basically she's in favor of Naked Thursdays. Naked Thursdays, yeah. Because uh, that sounds like great for the work for workplace. <laughs> no, we're, we are not advocating Naked Thursdays. Um, speak for yourself. No, no. Okay, Mark has not, his own firm. He can not, have Naked Thursday. We are not advocating. I've that. seen, you know, the personnel at Mark's firm. I'm sure it would be a lovely thing. Not really my, not my We don't call. judge, Dennis. <laughs> <laughs> so here's, here's another one of those, like, that sounds really like a great idea to get rid of that policy, assuming that you have responsible, mature adults working in your workplace. But what do you do when somebody shows up in the Daisy Dukes and halter top? You need to have a conversation. And maybe it's still worth having some guidelines because here's the thing. You want to treat your employees like adults. I'm totally with that. And you should be able to trust your workforce to wear the right clothes to work given the environment. But maybe some loose guidelines would be helpful. Like what? Like a level of, of standard professionalism, right? You can say it's it's business casual generally. You can say it's casual generally, yeah. but just like a restaurant has to say no no shoes, no shirt, no service, right? Yeah. I you know, restaurants have to put that out there because some people simply don't know that that's something you should have when you go into a restaurant. Why is it any different for a workforce? Those same people are probably the ones working for you. So here's what drives me nuts about that. And it's that offices will have dress codes like this is um, office casual or this is business casual. I have no idea what those are and nor does anybody else. So put some, put some discrete guidelines around it, right? It means you wear pants. Okay, I usually I usually wear socks. pants and shoes. Not and always. You don't want to have too too many uh, ripped pieces of clothing. You don't want to have your underwear showing. Yeah, right? but those things seem obvious. But I have been at workplaces before where you loosen the dress code policy, and all of a sudden, not actually all of a sudden, over time, it becomes a free for all. It becomes a free for all, and when you've seen your 18th thong showing, it's time to do something about it. And so maybe you have a meeting where you remind everybody, like, we're still a workplace, right? Perhaps we should have less spandex. Or more, depending on the workplace. I suppose. I mean, if you work at, like, the gym. Sure, thank you. you That's that's fair. But in an office kind of environment... Right. You want to you want to make sure that there's a minimum standard. I tend to agree. You shouldn't have to put that into a policy. Okay, But if you are going to agree, if you are going to do that without a policy, you need to be really careful about equal application. Oh, that is a good point. And that's where I've seen a lot of there's actually been a lot of litigation around that. And a lot of complaints is where you have a policy that is more restrictive on one group of people, usually based on gender than on the other. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Basic rule is if it's if your dress code would take and it's let's face it it's almost always applied more to women. If it would take women longer 
to get ready in the morning to comply with your dress code than it would take for men. Or it would take women more money to comply with your dress code than it would for men. You're probably not doing it right. Totally agree. Okay. Right. So if you're going to do that, if you're going to get rid of that policy, don't single anybody out. Correct. As a group or as an individual yeah. relative to anybody else. If men's thongs are showing, they're in trouble too. Exactly. Okay, next, number four. Liz says, we should ditch the policy that requires employees to bring in a funeral notice when a family member dies. Again, it's one of those things where if you treat everyone as though they are in the process of ripping you off, she says, you've already failed as a leader. Mark, do you agree with that one? Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm hearing that. And it's, it's not an employment situation, but I'm, I'm remembering. Do you remember the movie Ferris Bueller's Day Off? <laughs> yes. Right? Where... where Principal, I was it Principal Rooney? I think yeah. thinks that Ferris Bueller. Right? He, I guess I guess uh, calls in and says that one of the other students, Simone, I think it is her yeah. her uh, grandmother. Her died, grandma died, and he says he thinks it's Ferris Bueller and it's a prank. So he says, "Why don't you just roll her on roll roll her old bones on down to the school so we can check it out?" Right? I don't know why like that sort of policy evokes that for me. Right? Like it's exactly let, what that is. Let's treat people with respect, especially in that particular circumstance. Yeah. Right? And if people are trying to pull that one over on you, they're probably not great for your workplace in other ways, too. And you'll you'll suss that out. Yeah, probably. Um, last. Liz says, we should abolish a policy that allows salaried employees, who, by the way, don't get paid for overtime, to work until all hours of the night or work all weekend for free but then penalizes them for walking into work 10 minutes late. Huh. Interesting. Interesting. So I get and agree with, let's not all of a sudden be paternalistic when it's to our advantage and then have this like, oh, you can set your own hours as long as it's to the company's advantage. That doesn't sound fair. Sounds like a real buzzkill. Mark? Oh, I tend to agree. I mean, I think that there's a limit here that we should talk about. But generally speaking, I think for exempt employees... Right. Again, it's all, many of these is interesting. Come back to treating your employees as adults and professionals. Right. And I think that this one's no different. If you have an exempt workforce that's coming in, you know, if, if I'm the manager, I'm saying you come and go as you please. Now, I generally want and need you to be present during the day, during operating hours when the office is yeah. open. Right. But I'm not checking to see if you come in at nine or eight thirty or 10 one day. I don't really need to know about your kid pickups. I just expect you to go and do it, get your work and I done. expect you to get your work done, whether yeah. that happens to be during the day, at night, or on the weekend. It doesn't matter to me so long as you're getting your work done. Now, yeah. I know that there are other circumstances, however, where exempt professionals should be held to a schedule, right? And I think I think one of those would be, for example, a doctor, right, who has patients to be seen all day. I think the employer can reasonably expect that doctor to show up on time for those appointments and not allow the schedule to get off so you have patients angry in the waiting area all day long while the doctor runs late, yeah. right? And so I don't know if there's other examples you can think of, or I'm sure there's many out there where you do need to set a schedule. Right. But I think if it's like should not be that. If your presence is necessary to run the business and run it on an office hours kind of basis, then yeah, you've got to show up. But the whole idea that like, oh, the boss comes in at nine, so we all need to be here at 8.55 and put in our FaceTime. Oh, FaceTime. FaceTime. 
probably not going to win you the respect of your employees. Totally agree. So it sounds like Liz, you nailed it. So once again, um, Liz Ryan contributing to Forbes, her article, Five Cruel and Unusual Company Rules to Abolish Before 2018. We'll put the link in the show notes. All right. Thanks, uh, Liz. So should we uh, take a break here and we'll be back in a minute? We'll take a break. We'll be back in a minute. All right. Hey, Mark, if our listeners have too much money, how can they get rid of some of it? They can give it to us. That's a brilliant idea. How do they do it? They can go to our Patreon campaign. It's www.patreon.com slash H-W-E. Cool. And we're, they're not just going to give us money for nothing, right? We're going to give them something in return. Yeah, there's going to be stuff on there. Dates with Dennis. Um, dates with Mark. Dates. Uh, dates. Apparently. Double dates. Double dates. Oh, you. If you're twins. <laughs> Only if you're twins. Dennis will record your voicemail message. Yeah. Uh, and other things. Mark will do your homework. Sure. Okay, everybody. So our goal as we get this podcast off the ground is that we will finish every episode with your stories from the workplace. Great cases, great facts, great stories that you've got. We put in our pitch earlier today for a crazy birthday party, crazy Halloween stories. We cannot do that without you. No, we need your help. So send your stories to stories at hwepodcast.com. Dot com, and we will sift through the best ones and put them on the air. But in the meantime, we're going to tell our own good stories because we have a few. And one of the funniest times, because everybody is at their most nervous and vulnerable, is the job interview. And I know oh, the, yes. you and I have no shortage of great ones. But I ran across one just recently that caught my eye. We've all come to a job interview less than full, fully prepared, but nobody less fully prepared than this guy who apparently realized on the way to the interview that he forgot socks and was wearing a dark <laughs> suit. So what do you do when you don't have socks? Like no socks? Like how do you walk out of the house without socks? I don't know, but this, <laughs> this particular gentleman discovered that he was sans socks, so he took a black Sharpie and drew them in. He actually colored his ankles on down to the shoe line with a black Sharpie to provide the appearance of having black socks. I'm going to make a wild assumption that he, like many men, might have hairy legs. And I have to imagine that looked truly, truly I, awful. I'm not sure how I'm not sure how I'd cover that up, but... Uh, I think I would stop at Target first. And when I did, I would not go to the marker section. I would go to the sock section. But Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. That's I'm thinking awesome. he probably didn't get the job. I'm, I'm thinking not. <laughs> Mark, do you got one for us? I've got a real quick one, yes. Yeah. So uh, I, this, this is a story. I know it's a real-life story. It wasn't okay. me. Uh, wasn't directly involved with me in any way, but I do know the story of an individual. We, we verified the source. Yes, but we have verified the source of an individual who was interviewing somebody for a job as a big law firm. Okay? Yeah. And the individual who was being interviewed is an Orthodox Jew. Okay. And the person who's conducting the interview had a computer virus on his computer at the time that he was doing this. And okay. so his computer would be known at times to put up some unsavory images in the background that he could not control 
that would pop up on his computer screen. Okay. And the way his office was set up, the guest chair was 180 degrees from where his computer screen was. So while he's talking to to the interviewee, he can't see his screen. But the interviewee can. Can. And in this case... Oh, God. For the entire interview, there was a giant penis on the screen. <laughs> that said, like, click here for this kind of giant penis, right? Oh, and, my God. And the guy said nothing. Oh. And they took him on to the next interviewer. Oh, and then he and sees the his screen. He comes back and he sees his screen. And he's... He's livid. He's oh embarrassed. God. He goes and he apologizes and said, why didn't you say anything? Like, I wish you'd said something to me because that's just so offensive. Oh, my God. And do you know what the guy said? No, what? I thought it was a test. <laughs> I thought you were testing me. Which would be a good test. Yeah. Now, um, I don't think this guy a got test it. of what? I don't, I don't know. know what. Right? Like, I, I like, don't know. You know, professionalism. Yeah, maybe I don't know. I I can't even think of. But if something weird happens during an interview, you, maybe you just like, can you go with the flow? Maybe it's like testing for a lawyer to say like, there's a distraction going on in the maybe background, and it. you're on the phone with the you, judge. You got to maintain focus. Well, did he pass the test? I don't think he got the job. Oh, bummer! In the end, yeah. but. Uh, is a great story. Great story. So that's what we're looking for, folks. If you've got a story like that, send it to us at stories at hwepodcast.com. You can also go to our website yeah. at hwepodcast.com. You can like our Facebook page. Have you been to our Facebook page? You should. It's great. So you can like the, the, the Facebook page and we'll have... Uh, content on the Facebook page coming. Um, it will probably be live by the time you hear this. Yeah. How do they and, find that Facebook page, Mark? Um, it's the HWE Podcast page on Facebook. I'm also so just at, look for HWE Podcast. Yeah, just search for HWE Podcast and it should come up. All, All right. right. And then um, I also happen to be very active on LinkedIn, and I welcome any of you to follow my profile or send me a connection request. Leave a note that says I'm a I'm a listener and I'd love to connect with you, and I will happily accept that request. And my full name, if you haven't heard already is Mark Alifans, A-L-I-F-A-N-Z. And you can find me on LinkedIn and send me a connection quest request. I'd love to connect with you. Cool. All right. That's it for this episode of the Hostile Work Environment with Mark and Dennis. Thanks for listening. And we'll talk to you again in a week or so. Peace out. Take care. Bye. <laughs>